Good morning, Church of the Redeemer. This is a big pulpit. Can you see me over there? Is there a stool I'm supposed to be standing on? It's a gift to be with you this morning. There's a few indisputable laws in the world. One of them is if you live in New England and you get invited south in February, you go. So it's a real treat to be with you this morning, not just for the warm fellowship, but also for the warmer weather as well. I bring greetings from my family. I think I have a picture of them up here. Uh, my wife, Ashley, our uh, five-year-old son, Micah, two-year-old daughter, Selah, uh, are not here this morning, um, but they are up in Connecticut, and so they send their greetings. That's how we always look, um, happy and well put together like that. Uh, we're also expecting our third baby in July, so uh, maybe we'll have another with us next time we come. This is an exciting day, uh, not just because I get to wear this cool microphone. We don't have these microphones up north. I feel a little bit like Justin Timberlake this morning. That's all I have in common with Justin Timberlake. Um, It's also an exciting day because it's an anniversary. It's the 15th anniversary of the day that I got my driver's license. You guys can remember back with me when you got your driver's license. Some of you guys will have to think a lot further back than others. Uh, This is an exciting day. It's an exciting time when you get your driver's license. But then that, that new driver vibe kind of fades after a while, right? A year or two later, it's not so exciting anymore, and you don't enjoy sitting in traffic. You don't enjoy driving from one place to another like you used to. The reality is I think that, that a lot of us have a similar experience in our life with God. When you, when you first come to faith, you first experience life with God, it's exciting, it's invigorating, but it doesn't take long before that, that new Christian vibe kind of fades. You just get used to what life with God is like. Well, I think this morning, uh, Paul would have us learn that there's a way for us to recapture uniquely that experience, that deep love of life with God. And we can experience that through partnership with one another. Because not all of us are called to plant a church in Connecticut. Not all of us are called to be a public school teacher in Indian Trail or to run a small business or what you might be called to. Not all of us are called to those things. And yet we could come and experience the benefits of life with God in those different ways through partnership. And so I want to apologize to you this morning. If you'll look at uh, the worship bulletin, you'll see that I titled this sermon Gospel-Centered Partnership. What a lame name for a sermon for a missions conference. The guy that gave the sermon last year probably had the same title for his sermon. Who doesn't want to hear about gospel-centered partnership? I, was, uh, I did some of my training at RTS in New York City, and some of that's in conjunction with Redeemer Church and Tim Keller. And, you know, they just put gospel-centered in front of everything, and it makes sense, and it works. Sorry to do that to you this morning. And so I want to actually hold out something for you that's maybe a little bit more attractive, maybe a little bit more nuanced and more compelling than just gospel-centered partnership. This morning I want to invite you to consider what it would look like to have a heavenly partnership. Because a heavenly partnership, I believe, is what gospel-centered partnership is actually inviting us into. You heard it read this morning where where Hunter read Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, what's amazing is that God's promise in his church is that we don't have to wait until we die to experience the joy of eternal life. But as we dwell together in partnership over the gospel, we get a taste of heaven. God's commanded his blessing to come to those who are partnered in the gospel. So I want to invite you to come with me this morning as we consider what it would mean for us to have a heavenly partnership together. Before we do, would you pray with me? 
God, you are so good and so gracious to us that you don't leave us to do this Christian life alone, but that you, you give us brothers and sisters to walk through life with. You give us people who are in different vocations and different uh, places, different life stages to experience what life with you really can be like. You don't make us wait until we die to experience the joy of eternal life, but you invite us to experience that joy as we live together in gospel-centered and heavenly partnership. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to understand what that looks like this morning. Convict us deep within our hearts of the joy of life with God as we do it together. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So discover the, to discover what heavenly partnership looks like, we're going to look at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. So if you would uh, turn to Philippians or click to Philippians or whatever you do to look at the book of Philippians, I think it'll be up here too if you don't have uh, a copy of God's word with you this morning. We're going to look at Philippians 1 verses 3 to 8, and I'm just going to read them for us this morning. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is a passage that we come to regularly as a family and as a church as we think about our partners in the Gospels. We think about you and others who have partnered with us in Gospel work, and so uh, this this morning we're going to look at um, Paul, what Paul rejoices in over his partnership with the Philippian church. Because Philippians, it is a book of rejoicing. I don't know if you guys have studied this book here recently as a church. Uh, but in this book, this short little book, only four chapters, Paul mentions the word joy or rejoicing 16 times. And so we're going to look at what does Paul rejoice over in his partnership with the Philippian church. And then we'll see how his church, how his partnership with the Philippian church was a heavenly partnership. And Paul rejoices in, I'm going to lay it out here as heavenly faith, heavenly hope, heavenly love, and a heavenly future. And it's in these four things that Paul experiences a heavenly partnership with the Philippians. I want to just say, when I mention heavenly, I don't mean heavenly in the sense of like this ice cream was heavenly or um that steak was heavenly. I'm trying to think of something that's not food. For some reason, all that's coming to me is food. But that we're actually partnering together and we're experiencing heaven on earth now. That's what I mean when I say that we're in a heavenly partnership together. And so the first thing that Paul rejoices in and over with the Philippian church is their heavenly faith. And we can see this in verses 3 to 5, which I'll just reread to refresh our memories now. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He rejoices in their partnership in the gospel. And there's a couple of different aspects of partnership in the gospel that Paul is talking about here. It's clear throughout the letter that the Philippian church 
partnered with uh, Paul in the gospel by sending material resources to him. They had sent one of their own, one of their seemingly star church members, Epaphroditus, to come and aid Paul while he was in prison. And he seemed to go back and forth with resources for Paul from the Philippian church that they sent him to their own detriment at their own expense. And so Paul here from the outset is thanking the Philippian church for their material blessing of him, for their giving of material resources to him. And this was a a sign of their heavenly faith. In Luke 12, 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Their giving of material resources was evidence of their faith in a heavenly treasure. And so, Redeemer Church, from the outset, I want to say thank you. You've partnered with us in this way from the first day until now. You all have been sending material resources to us for the last five years, and we thank you for that. Much like this Philippian church, you guys have given at your own detriment, at your own expense, so that we can get a fledgling church off the ground, and we need those material resources, and we're grateful for, for them. But there's another aspect to this, this word partnership, another aspect of this partnership in, this, in the gospel. The word that we translate partnership in the ESV, it could also be translated as participation in the gospel. And so Paul is giving thanks not just that the Philippians have partnered with him, because certainly there are lots of other entities that use sponsorship, that, use, uh, that get gifts from other people. You don't have to be a Christian to give to a nonprofit. But what Paul is thankful for is that their gift comes from a heavenly faith. He's grateful that they are Christians. He's, he recognizes that this is not a small thing, that there is a church in Philippi, that there is a group of Christians in Philippi. And if you know anything about the story of the Philippian church, you know that, that it is ridiculous that there is a church in Philippi at this time. Because the church got started, it's recorded in Acts 16, that, that Paul and Silas and some others, they went to Philippi. And they were walking around, they were preaching the gospel, and this, this lady named Lydia came to faith. She was just a seller of purple goods. She was, uh, she was converted and she was baptized. And she convinced Paul and Silas and his buddies to stay around for a couple of days, and so they do. And they, they get followed around by this demon-possessed girl. The scriptures say that, that the demon-possessed girl just got on Paul's nerves so much that he, he cast the demon out from her. And then the citizens of Philippi get really mad. They throw them in jail. And so they're in jail. While they're in jail, there's an earthquake. The jail falls apart. The guard thinks they've escaped. And so he's about to kill himself. He's about to commit suicide. And Paul says, no, no, we're still here. Shares the gospel with him. This man is converted. These are the humble beginnings of the Philippian church. Lydia, a seller of purple goods. Philip, or I'm sorry, an unnamed jailer in the Philippian uh, jail. From these two the Philippian church is planted. Paul knows that the fact that a Philippian church exists is an amazing act of God, and it's worth rejoicing over. I hope that you know that this morning that there's several hundred people gathered in this room by faith. That is amazing. This is one of those things that I think, just like driving a car, you just get used to it after a while. You might just think that this is normal. This is not normal. That there are hundreds of people gathered to worship God this morning. This is a miracle. We know this in Fairfield. We recognize this. In Fairfield, it's a town of about 62,000 people. And there are 
literally three other churches that I would confidently recommend one of my friends go to to hear the gospel. Three other churches besides ours. And in these four churches, including ours, I'd say there's maybe a thousand people in these churches. In a town of over 60,000 people. And so I did the math, and I'm not good at math, so I could be wrong. You can check me on it later. Uh, Less than 1% of the population of Fairfield is probably worshiping in a gospel-centered church this morning. That is less, there's a higher percentage of the population of Indian Trail in this room right now than there is in any gospel-believing church in Fairfield, Connecticut. You look around, it's amazing that there are this many people gathered by faith to worship God this morning. This is not the case everywhere. Not everybody believes this stuff. So we're grateful for you. We give thanks for your participation, your heavenly faith, your participation in the gospel. You're a reminder to us that this stuff really is true. You stay in Fairfield long enough and you look around and you might think, am I crazy? Because nobody else seems to believe this stuff. So coming here, it's a reminder that this stuff really is true. The second thing that Paul rejoices in is it's, it's a heavenly hope that he has over the Philippian church. And we see this in verse 6. Verse 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This might be a familiar verse to many of you. I know it's a source of encouragement when I feel like I'm just not, I just don't have it all together. But I want to recognize the kind of comment that this is. It's kind of a funny comment, a bit of a left-handed compliment, right? I'm sure of this. You might not be pretty, you might not be beautiful now, but one day you will be. That's Paul's hope. He has a heavenly hope. And I think this is an important point for us to get this morning. Paul's grateful for the Philippian church, not because they are perfect, but because they're being perfected. And he's grateful for the Philippian church, not so much for the work that they are doing or have done, but for the work that's being done in them and the work that God is going to do in them. And this is such an important point. I think it's important for us personally and corporately this morning because we so Uh, want to partner with people, individuals, churches, ministries who are extraordinary, right? Who are doing amazing things. And we feel joy a lot of times over others because of the things that they're doing. And oftentimes we miss the things that God is doing in them. So I think Paul would correct us on the way that we view partnership. There really is power in the hope that we have of what God is doing in a person or in a congregation, Tim Keller has a quote about this in his book on marriage, amazing book called The Meaning of Marriage. This is one that that my wife probably goes back to often over me, um, but we go back to together a lot. And it gets at this, the hope of heaven as a source of true gospel partnership. He says, within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you're taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, ah, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. That is heavenly partnership. That is partnership that has a hope in heaven. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Maybe for your marriage. Maybe uh, if you're a roommate for your other roommate. Maybe if you're a child for your parent or for a parent to your child. The gift of gospel-centered, heavenly partnership is to look at one another and say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me, and I want to be a part of that. 
That is heavenly hope. We need to hear this as a church. Our small little fledgling church plant in Connecticut, it can quite often, we wonder, we look around and say, is God doing anything? And then we have partners come up and visit us and just, they're amazed at what God is doing. The things that we don't notice, they see. They can give us hope for who God is making us into. Maybe you all need to hear this this morning. You, I hope you heard it in my first point. What's happening in you, Church of the Redeemer, is amazing. The impact that you are having on your town and on the world, it is amazing. There is a work happening in this church that is a deep encouragement to me and to our church. And you all have had a deep influence on my life personally. Maybe you don't know this, but there are people in this room who are, who are former members of Christ Covenant Church, who taught me in Sunday school as an elementary school child. You all support Campus Outreach and Peter Eck, who was influential in my life. You all helped disciple Blair Burke, who gave me a job as I was trying to get married. I got to work under crawl spaces for a couple of summers with him. It was something. So you have gospel-centered businesses, businessmen and women, missionaries coming out from this church, little church plants that you're supporting. God is doing an amazing work in you, Redeemer Church, and you need to know that this morning. I can look at you, and I'm excited about what God's doing in you, and I can't wait to get to heaven and say, yes, I knew that's what God was making you into, a heavenly hope. Thirdly, Paul rejoices in a heavenly love. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul has a heavenly love for the Philippian church. We get this in this phrase, I hold you in my heart. Now this phrase, the way that we translate it, has like a hint of sentimentality to it, right? I picture um, that scene from Titanic and Celine Dion singing in the background, my heart will go on, I hold you in my heart. And But literally, if we translate it, we could just say, I have you in my heart. Paul says, I have you in my heart. What does he mean by that? I don't think this is just a throwaway sentimental phrase for Paul. See, if you flip back uh, to Ephesians 3, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Paul regularly also describes us as being united to Christ by faith. And so, if you can follow the logic with me here a little bit, If Christ is dwelling in each of our hearts by faith, if we're all united to Christ by faith, then in some way we dwell in one another's hearts by faith. I've always thought that the term asking Jesus into your heart is a weird phrase. I think we get it from Ephesians 3, though, so I think it's biblical. So if that's a weird phrase, how much weirder is it to say, I also pray that every other Christian ever will come into my heart. But I think that's the reality that Paul is getting at here. That as we're united to Christ by faith, we're also united to one another by faith. And this is an incredible truth that you and I, we are actually, uh, we are partnered, we are connected, we are united together at a heart level. And if we're united together by faith in Christ, then this union, this partnership, it transcends all circumstances. What a gift. And that's why Paul says that he has them in his heart, not just in his Not just in the defense and confirmation in the gospel, but also in his imprisonment. And so the Philippian church is as if they're there with him in his chains. So I want to thank you, Redeemer Church, because you have exemplified this to us. 
we hold you in our heart, both in our imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You have come alongside us in our imprisonment. Our church, we've experienced a great deal of mourning and suffering over the last five years. We've had multiple miscarriages in our congregation. We've had several deaths in the family, some unexpected and tragic. We've had members diagnosed with terminal illness, life-altering diseases. We've seen members and regular attenders get transferred elsewhere, lost a number of members that way. We've seen many friends, college students, get excited about the gospel and then just get sucked into the cares of the world. And you all have been with us in those testimonies. You've come alongside us and encouraged us regularly. We've, we've received notes and emails and texts encouraging us in our imprisonment. So thank you. You've exemplified this to us, this partnership that transcends uh, circumstances. But you've also been with us in our defense and confirmation of the gospel. By God's grace, we've witnessed four pretty dramatic conversions in the past three years. We baptized eight children. We're in the process of seeing a broken marriage restored. We've gotten to share the gospel with hundreds of kids through kids' outreach events, hundreds of adults through Bible studies, Sunday services, neighborhood gatherings. And I want to introduce you to just a few that you all have impacted as you've partnered with us in this way. So I think I've got a couple pictures up here just to introduce you to some. Uh, so this is a few of our friends. Uh, this is how they always dress. Um, uh, from left to right, it's Kyle, Alice, their daughter Marjorie, uh, and then on the right, uh, Sam Torres, the little baby, and Becca and John. Um, that's them about to go trick-or-treating. It's kind of the only one I found with all of them. Uh, so uh, I'll just kind of give you just a quick snapshot. Kyle uh, was not a believer when he came to our church. Alice had just come to faith a few years ago. They had lived in Manhattan. She came to faith through uh, the ministry of Tim Keller and Redeemer Church. They found us, and Kyle was just not sure about the whole thing. And uh, he kept coming and coming, and by God's grace, about 18 months after coming, he, he gave his life, his life to Christ. This was about uh, two months before Marjorie was born. And so it was a great joy to get to welcome Marjorie into the world to a family of two believing parents. John, on the far right in the crazy white uh, suit, He's a musician in town, and uh, he's the local guy, and uh, we entered into a relationship actually through his wife, Becca, who was a believer as well, and she attended our church here and there. John didn't come that much, but one Sunday he did come and heard the gospel, and his whole life changed. He texted Andrew afterwards and said, I came to church not understanding grace, and now I understand grace. I want to talk about church membership. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing stories that you all are a part of, and so the next slide, I think I've got Two more guys I just want to introduce you to. This is uh, Isaac and JC. These are two college students that I've gotten to invest in over the last few years. Isaac is a, a fellow New Englander. He's from uh, New Hampshire, and he goes to Fairfield University. JC is from Washington, D.C. Uh, Isaac was raised in a Christian home but didn't have much discipleship, and so he came to college and was floundering a bit, and we got to walk alongside him, and he recently joined our church. JC uh, also grew up in the church but was not a believer and came to faith in Christ his sophomore year in college. And so we actually have seen the gospel go forth, and you all have partnered with us in our defense and confirmation of the gospel. So thank you, Redeemer Church, for your partnership in this way. So as a result of holding them in his heart, Paul also, there's, there, uh, there is a sentimental uh, side of this holding him in his heart because he says, I yearn for you, Philippian church. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. 
What do you think he means by the affection of Christ? Well, I think one thing that he means by the affection of Christ is that their union in Christ leads to a unique affection for one another. And we've experienced this in Fairfield. In Fairfield, it's hard to find a Christian who has a lot of other things in common with you. Our church is full of people who are different from me in a lot of ways, but we've gotten to enjoy a unique partnership together, and I have a unique love for them that I would describe as the affection of Christ, because there's not much else that might make me have affection for them. But because we're united in Christ, we have a deep love and affection for one another. We've also experienced this uh, with, with groups that have come up and visited us. And so we've had a group from Campus Outreach come out come up the last couple of years. I think one of your church members is coming up this spring. Um, and, and we've had other groups, other partners, uh, church partners come up and visit us over the summer during what we call our Good Week. And I've only spent two weeks total with most of these people, one week per year over the last two years. But I can tell you that I have an affection for them that is that is Christ-like. It's just, we just have Christ in common, and so we've experienced such a deep affection for one another. And I think this is what he's getting at. This is a heavenly love. It's a, it's a heavenly partnership that we have with these churches. So finally, Paul rejoices over the Philippian church and his partnership with them because of their heavenly future together. We see this in verse 9 to 11. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as a result of his affection for them, Paul prays that the Philippian church's love may abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment. And if you're like me, you hear that statement or you read that verse and you wonder, love and knowledge of what or of who, Paul? Is it love and knowledge of each other, for Paul or for Christ? And I think to each of these options, Paul would answer, yes. He wants us to grow in love and knowledge for all these. It might be natural for us to think that he's just talking about Jesus Christ, that we grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. But if that's the case, it's really interesting where Paul goes next. He doesn't just jump straight to Philippians 2, which if you're familiar, is where he really deeply describes Christ's incarnation. But what he does after saying that he wants them to grow in love and knowledge is he gives them a personal report about himself and how his imprisonment is going. Why? Why does Paul do this? Well, I think that Paul is inviting us into and inviting the Philippian church into a deeper love and a deeper knowledge of one another and of him because he knows that as they grow in their knowledge of one another and of him, they will grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because if you want to grow in your knowledge and your love of Christ where do you need to go? You need to go to church. And this is one of the primary lessons that we've learned in church planning over the last few years. And it's rooted in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. It's probably just a couple pages before in your Bible if you wanted to flip there. It says, And he, God, put all things under his, Christ's, feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Read that again. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the fullest expression of Christ on earth. When you become a Christian by faith, Christ comes and he dwells in you. And so you become a little outpost of heaven by faith as he dwells in you by his spirit. And so when you gather with other Christians, it is heavenly. 
When a bunch of little outposts of heaven gather together, it is heavenly. And then when your gathering of church, your gathering of Christians joins with other churches in partnerships, it is a unique experience of the heavenliness of church. So I want to rejoice with you this morning about the future knowledge and love that our churches are striving toward together because this is going to give us a deeper experience of heaven on earth. Opportunities like this to share a pulpit, to grow in our knowledge and love of one another over a meal. This is a unique experience of heaven on earth. Psalm 133 just says it so well. This is where God has demanded blessing, life forevermore, life forevermore. It doesn't start when you die, it starts right now as we partner together in heavenly gospel-centered partnership. And so there's another opportunity coming up that, that maybe you know about, maybe you don't. I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to announce it from the pulpit this morning. If not, I guess I just won't get invited back, but that's okay. Our churches, we both partner with a church in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Peter Eck and his uh, church, New, New City Fellowship there. And so we're going to get, we have a really unique opportunity together this summer, the beginning of August, we're both going to go and help him and partner with him in ministry for a week in August. And this is going to be a heavenly experience. We might not have AC. We're probably going to be sleeping in sleeping bags, maybe not showering very much. But this will be a heavenly experience. And if there's anywhere to test the thesis, it will be here. Because what will be keeping us going is the gospel, is Jesus Christ in us and with us. I'm excited for this heavenly future that our churches get to strive toward together. So thank you, Redeemer. Thank you for your heavenly partnership with us and with our church. We rejoice over you as Paul does over the Philippian church for your heavenly faith, your heavenly hope, your heavenly love, and your heavenly future. How sweet it is for brothers to dwell in unity, for here God's blessing is commanded forever, life unto eternity. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do just come to you this morning and just I, I acknowledge that I do not believe this. Many days I go through just not believing that you really are present with me through your church. And so I ask God that you would stir faith in our hearts now that we might believe that you are present here now and that as we partner together over the gospel that you are present and you have commanded your blessing in that partnership. And so I do pray for more opportunities for us as churches to come together, to grow deeper in our love and knowledge of one another, and thus grow deeper in our love and our knowledge of you, Jesus Christ. For it's your name that we want to exalt. It's not Redeemer Church. It's not Christ Presbyterian Church, but it's the name of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we partner together, I pray for many, many years to come, Jesus Christ, that your name would be exalted. Life forevermore. Amen.